Hello, everyone. I'm Nick Desai, and welcome to the first July episode of Nick's Notes. Last week, I made a comment on LinkedIn, a very short comment, that mental health should be a available, insured, and required part of every primary care exam. In America, every time you go for an annual checkup, your mental health should be checked upon. And it got more positive comments than almost anything I've ever said on LinkedIn, um, which either means I'm an idiot and don't say that many interesting things or that a lot of people, a lot of talk about mental health. And the only thing, two things I know about mental health to be true are three things I will say. First is it works and it's worked for me. And I have no problem saying that I have sought help for mental health issues in my life, right? As it just as I would if I broke my toe or got an ear infection, which I did. I took antibiotics for an ear infection and I saw a mental health professional for my mental health issues. The second thing is that it is a it is primary care. That's our fundamental belief, Renee. Whenever I say our, I'm including my wife, Dr. Renee Dua. As you, most of you know, she and I started HEAL. That mental health is primary care and primary care is mental health. You cannot positively affect someone's health outcomes without affecting, improving, treating, and their related mental health issues. Telling somebody they have cancer is not just about chemotherapy, it's about making sure they stay motivated to get the chemotherapy because it's a devastating diagnosis. And the third thing, and I'll make a humorous comment, is that mercury is in retrograde, and no, it does not affect your mental health, nor does it affect your astrological or anything like that. And I actually had someone ask me that question the other day, right? Um, and I'm very pleased and very excited to have Sarah Make Makin on with us from Makin Wellness. She's an entrepreneur who started a teletherapy company in the Pennsylvania market and grown it out with no investment capital to a seven-figure revenue business and provides help to people of all shapes and sizes. So Sarah, welcome to the program, and it's great to have you on today. Thanks so much, Nick, for having me on. I'm incredibly excited to connect with you and to be on this Life of Healthcare podcast. So my first question for you, Sarah, is how do we make mental health? Surely, I know you already agree that mental health should be universally available. How do we do that in America? Is the issue the shortage of providers? Is the issue the insurance coverage? Is the issue the social stigma? How do we make it universally available? That's a really great question, Nick. And every factor that you addressed is affected by that. There is a provider shortage. There is a lack of insurance coverage. And with some payers at this point, there's um, a question of whether they're going to continue covering for online mental health services. And there's also still a stigma. There's there has been a lot more education and information shared since COVID about breaking the stigma and eliminating the stigma behind mental health care. And there's been more efforts to uh, educate the public about mental health care and that there's nothing wrong with seeking help. So all of those things would need to be addressed and um, in order to be able to provide more services. Now, when, when you talk about the stigma, right, you're, you're of Iranian descent, I'm of Indian mm -hmm. descent, 
right? But we're all of some descent, right? I, I, America sometimes it's like, oh, these are African Americans and Hispanics and gays and lesbians and Iranians and Indians and Koreans and whatever. And then there's just white people, right? But they're all, there's all something. They grew up in the Midwest. They grew up in the South. Their family was educated. Their family didn't have money. Every, what is the stigma, right? I will say, in my own family, the people in my parents' generation think a psychologist somehow some kind of witch that's going to control your mind. What is the stigma and what is the best path to overcoming that? And is that a, is that a socioeconomically dependent thing? And is it a ethnically dependent factor? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question, Nick. So there's several things that do need to be addressed with that. The first thing and this goes back to the educational piece when you mentioned like your, your family previously thought that, you know, a psychologist or a counselor is some type of witch doctor that's going to control or manipulate your mind. That is definitely not the case. And sharing more information with the public about what mental health care is, what it does look like, and how there are providers here that are able and want to support you and have the training and the expertise and the F and the empathy in order to really be able to support you in a deep way is very important. And part of it is a cultural challenge because you mentioned um, America is so diverse and there's all different types of people with different religious and spiritual backgrounds and with different um, ethnicities and different cultures. And if you grew up in a culture where something is looked down upon, it takes a lot of uh, effort to sort of reprogram your brain, even if the evidence and the research shows that this thing is helpful and is effective, it takes space repetition. And so there have been a lot of different campaigns, um, both publicly um, and privately, to educate people on mental health care. It is okay to seek out help. It doesn't, it is not a sign of weakness. It is absolutely a sign of strength and everyone has a brain. So of course, everyone is going to have some sort of challenge with their mental health at one point or another. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or anything bad with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that you mentioned because we were just uh, vacationing over the 4th of July holiday with our kids in a beach town in Northern California. And our nanny was with us, thank God, because we have three monkeys. And, and <laughs> she was, she's vaccinated. She's an elderly Hispanic lady. And she was just saying that we were driving through the, the farmland of California and there's obviously mostly Hispanic people who are picking the lettuce or whatever. And she was saying, it's too bad that most Hispanic people are afraid of vaccines. They won't get them. Right. There's a, and these are people who are exposed to other people by virtue of their job. They have to be right. They don't have a choice. And I, I think the true is, it's true in mental health as well is that the people who need it most are sometimes the least likely to reach out for that help. So if you were talking to a lower income or socioeconomic disadvantaged or ethnic minority or whatever the case may be type of person um, that did have a, well, hesitation, does this, how, what would you say? Talk to me as if I'm that person. What would you say to get them to take the, you know, start the process? Mm -hmm. Well, I would first just ask them questions about what's going on with them. How have you been feeling? How long have you been feeling that way? And I would just give them a space 
to share what's been going on um, and listen in a very non-judgmental way and essentially share with them that just because you've felt a certain way for a long period of time or a short period of time, doesn't mean that you have to like, that there's no other options. There are options you can heal. There are providers who can help you. And I would encourage them to seek out to get help and that, you know, it's going to help them. And there's nothing wrong and there's no shame with that. I was actually looking at some statistics uh, when I was, when I first launched Make and Wellness several years ago, and it was in 2016, approximately 55% of Pennsylvania residents were in some form of counseling at that point in time. This is 2016. And so if over 50% of the population is in some sort of therapy, you know, it's, it's because we all need help. We all have various challenges and no one is perfect. And there's always things that we can continue to work on. And I'm sure for the audience of uh, slice of healthcare, you're probably in the healthcare sector, which is incredibly challenging and very stressful. And, you know, of course, there's nothing wrong with seeking out for help, yeah. seeking out um, and getting help. I mean, I myself, I am consistently in therapy to ensure that I have a place yeah. where I can confidentially air out what's going on. Um, and I've found it to be tremendously helpful. And I think everyone needs someone to talk to. Now, I would ask you two quick final questions because we do try to keep these podcasts short. Um, the, the first is, right, one of the things that convinced me was a doctor saying, a psychiatrist who said to me, Nick, if you broke your leg, would you leave it alone or would you get it fixed, right? Your brain is a, the thing you're going to use every single minute, every single second of your existence. It's going to break at some point. Fix it, right? When you talk about telepsychology, teletherapy, right, which is how you communicate with so many of your patients, maybe even all of them now, I don't know, but is, can it be as effective as an in-person, what people imagine from watching Frasier, I'm on the couch and I'm talking about my dreams. Can it be as effective as that? That's a great question, Nick. And it really depends upon the patient. The number one predictor of outcomes within psychology and within the counseling world is the uh, therapeutic alliance between the patient and the provider. So part of the therapeutic reli- uh, alliance is uh, comfortability and the modality that you're seeing the patient. So if there's a patient who is just inherently extremely uncomfortable consistently with online therapy, and they have tried for months at a time, it's just not working. Someone who's uh, reluctant or resistant or even like paranoid of being seen um, virtually would more benefit from being seen in person. But what we've noticed is that it's an incredibly slim percentage of the population. And that as long as the patient is comfortable with meeting with a therapist um, remotely, that the outcomes um, are about the same or even higher. The other thing too, from a provider standpoint is we really love being able to meet with patients um, remotely because you get to get a better understanding of their environment and what's going on. And many times when people are more comfortable in their own environment, they're more likely to be open and they're more likely to adhere to the treatment, uh, treatment frequency because it's easier 
to open up your laptop or get your cell phone out and meet with your provider instead of actually driving down to an office and, and parking and then yep. doing all these extra things. It increases access to care, which is um, very important. A quick side comment as a hobby jewelry designer, whoever designed or picked out your engagement ring did a really nice job. Um, uh, so, so thank you. <laughs> off, off topic, but Nick's weird brain and the way it works. Uh, talk about needing help. Um, here's me. Yeah, there it is. There's a ring. So there it is. <laughs> um, my my last question, and then I want you to, and I would never allow this to give a shameless plug. My last question is before the shameless plug is. How should a therapist like you work with a primary care doctor? How do we make that relationship better? Obviously, they should work together. How? How do we make that happen? Absolutely. That is a great question. And it really boils down to setting the company up in a way where it's easy to share medical information and to ensure that there is a process in place for the free flow of communication between the providers. So if you are looking to partner with a PCP, you would first need the patient to sign a release of information and to get the patient's consent for whatever specific period of time um, and to get the patient to do that with the PCP's end. And then what you could, what the providers can do is fax notes um, or electronically um, in a HIPAA compliant way, release uh, note information back and forth. So then that way, the PCP and the provider are on the same page. If there are med changes, um, if there is an increase in symptoms or an increase in whatever sort of challenge that way, it's, it's substantially better for providers to partner and to work together in order to support the patient. And so having a team and the appropriate processes and the appropriate HIPAA compliant technology is incredibly important. And um, I, I believe collaboration um, and uh, coordination of care in the healthcare sector is super, super important. Critical. And yeah, we need so to So in the interest of that. time, I'm going to jump in, sorry to interrupt, but I want you to give I'm, a 20 second or less shameless plug to Macon Wellness and how people can find you, which we will also put in the links below. But we want people to find you and get, if you want Sarah or her team as your therapist, Sarah's going to mm -hmm. tell you how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. If you are ready to make a change and you want to improve your mental health, improve your addictions, or improve your relationships, give our team a call at 833-274-HEAL. That's 833-274-H-E-A-L. And our team can match you with a highly rated online therapist who is committed to helping you to heal and become happy again. You can also check us out at makingwellness.com or follow us anywhere online at Macon Wellness. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, and uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Let's all be sure to remember to take care of ourselves and the single most powerful thing we can do in a COVID safe way to take care of those loved ones around us is to say to someone you love them and to give them a hug. It has incredible powers. So try to do that and be kind to one another. Thank you all.